What's up, friends? It is Mr. Adam X. You're listening to the Pursuit Podcast on the Out of Bounds Network, the Out of Bounds Collective. I don't know. Out of Bounds puts it out, so I got to rep them because they rep me. Episode 25. I didn't think I'd get 25 episodes out. I don't know if you guys thought I'd get 25 episodes out, but it works. People dig it. Keep leaving your reviews. That really helps me. It helps Jabber. It's my same shtick. I'm super pumped on this episode because I recorded it at K2 headquarters. I never thought I'd go to K2 headquarters. That might not be that exciting to some people, but to me, that was, I mean, that was the mecca of me growing up was K2 skis, K2 skiing. Obviously, line skis, East Coast brand starting and then you know k2 bottom but long story long connor clayton is my guest he is the marketing guru behind line skis full tilt he was on track to go pro he was essentially pro plagued by injuries we talk all about it and then we dive into what makes line skis line skis and how they keep having more fun every year and continuing to make really great skis that are fun again let's keyword on fun skiing is fun but no they make really great skis that ski really well but they're playful and they're forgiving and you know skiing got way too serious for really long and line skis has always been the driving force and connor's a young gun he welcomed me into the headquarters gave me a little tour there is an interruption because of course jabber had to peek his head in and I can't have anything nice, but whatever. Uh, episode 25, Connor Clayton. I have to apologize because my audio is a little echoey. Good thing Connor talks more than I do. I'm still learning, especially in person interviews, but it came out rad. My good friend Charlie, Charlie Rumfola, helped me on the audio side, kind of dumbed it down a little bit for me. So, it's really good. I'm excited. I'm excited about all my episodes. Connor, thank you so much. Line, Full Tilt. Go look out their new line. They just dropped it. It's amazing. Episode 25, The Pursuit. Oh, there we go. All right, Connor. Who are you? What do you do, man? You're live on the podcast. We're live. Hi, I'm Connor. I'm the marketing manager at Line Skis and the Full Tilt Boots today. Um, we're here in Seattle, Washington. Beautiful day, not raining. Well, hopefully it actually does rain because the fires are getting pretty bad, but <laughs> do you want me just to start at the beginning and kind of talk about myself? Or? Yeah, how'd you get here? How did you, like obviously you're here now. Let's, we don't have to go way back, but cool. you grew up East Coast. Yeah, yeah. so I grew up on the East Coast. Um, lived a lot of my life in Ohio before moving to Connecticut in around like fifth grade or so. Um, so that's kind of going way back, but lived in Connecticut the majority of my life, probably about 10 years or so. Um, and that's kind of where I found my love for, for skiing growing up like in Ohio. And originally before that I was born in Canada. So I've got hockey in my blood. So played <laughs> a lot of hockey growing up. Um, and that was kind of the thing to do when I was younger in Ohio and then moving to Connecticut, kept that going up until kind of nearing high school, kind of, um, junior high, high school was always playing hockey on the team. And then just met a couple of buddies who would go skiing at a place called Ski Sundown, which I lived in Simsbury, Connecticut, and Sundown was probably about 20, 25 minutes away from my house in Simsbury. 
and you know small hill maybe four or five hundred foot vertical mainly just two chair lifts fixed quads that will take you up all the way to the top fixed triples actually excuse me um they all had night skiing open till 10 p.m and so i'd skied a little bit back in ohio my parents taught me how to ski at perfect north slopes in, in indiana um so i was good enough to kind of go with some buddies and go see what connecticut skiing was all about and I just learned that what they like to do is kind of go through the train park a bunch when I was super young. And so as I kind of got a little bit more and more into skiing, I turned into that kid that everybody hates in terms of going off the uh, sides of the rails and thinking that those are really cool <laughs> jumps and really fun to do. So I totally did that in like fifth and sixth grade. But, yeah, but that's an appropriate time yeah, see, like, to be doing that. Yeah, I, I thought so. I thought so looking back at that now. Um, but yeah, as I kept on kind of skiing, I just I kept on going with this group of friends and every day after school we pretty much would just beg our parents to go drive us to ski sundown and drop us off so we could ski until like nine or ten at night and luckily for us we had some amazing parents who were willing to do to do that at least you know two times a week um so we started doing that in between like hockey practices and then i just kind of kept on enjoying skiing more and more and more and then as i got like later into junior high i finally said to my mom and dad i was like hey i think i want to like focus on skiing a lot more like i'm really having a lot of fun with this i think i'm going to stop playing hockey and my dad being a Canadian he is, I think I might have broke his heart a little bit, but I think eventually he, he got over it. And like I said, they're super supportive. So they were willing to kind of let me go that route and really focus on skiing a bit more. And when I say focus at that point, it was just something I really loved to do. It's not like I was trying to do anything with it. Of course, I'm like a 13 year old kid at that point. Everybody has the ambitions to be a pro skier, right? So it's like, yeah, I'm going to totally do that. But Yeah, but good for you for like knowing you were done with hockey. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, if you're you balancing two things in the winter when you want to focus on one and you're clearly having more fun, you know, doing one over the other, then why not just keep doing it and put your full attention to it, right? So, yeah, that allowed me to really kind of ramp up how much I was skiing and, like, through going into high school, started skiing the park a lot more with my friends. We'd go to Ski Sundown on the weekends because I didn't have hockey on the weekends anymore now. And we'd really start like hiking rails and like trying to learn some tricks, watching a bunch of YouTube videos. I remember watching like super old like TJ Schiller videos, like how to do a rodeo 540 and like just trying to learn all these tricks and watching all the pros at the time on YouTube and trying to teach myself how to do a 360 on a jump or anything. And you know, eventually you'd learn it and you'd land it the first time. And it's just the most amazing feeling that would kind of keep you coming back for, for more and more and more. Um, so that's just kind of what I ended up doing like almost any free time I had throughout high school, I think, in my like freshman and sophomore year there, had you know, like three good buddies and we'd go to the hill any chance we'd get and we'd always try to kind of push ourselves to do a front two or learn a front four or try to do like our first front swap. And so I really just kind of fell in love with the park scene because at Ski Sundown, you're either skiing park or you're skiing, you know, a 500 foot vertical run that takes 30 seconds, then you're going up the lift to do that again. So in my eyes, that got boring pretty quick, but the park is always something that there's like, there's something new and shiny, there's something new you can try, there's something new you can learn. And so that would just like open my eyes to this whole entire environment and I just kind of fell in love with it. And then from there, kind of in my sophomore year of high school, I think I uh, experienced what the Green Mountains of Vermont are in terms of um, had one good buddy, two good buddies, Kirk Scully, Chris Frula, and they kind of introduced me to skiing up in Vermont a bit. They would go up there from time to time on the weekends and they 
finally invited me. I was cool enough and good enough skinny to, to go with them at one point. So Gatekeeping. Yeah, exactly. So they invited me up to go skiing at Mount Snow in Vermont with them one day, and we rolled up to Mount Snow, and I think the, the chairlift over at Corinthia on Nitro being the, the main run is something like a mile long and just absolutely full of park features, and I was just, like, in heaven. It's pretty, like, mind-blowing. Mind-blowing, yeah. Especially, how long ago was this? Uh, this was oh, sophomore year. This is probably like 10 years so ago. So almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Like I remember the first time I went to Corinthia. I was just like, it's a whole... Oh, yeah. It's insane. It's a whole face yeah. dedicated to park. Yeah. It's the coolest thing. And like coming from Ski Sundown, like Ski Sundown is amazing. Like they used to weld their own rails. Like they had a really good park on, in terms of speaking for rails. They had about a 10-foot jump. So <laughs> the jump's what you would expect. But they had a really fun park. But even going from that and seeing Corinthia just a face of like rails and jumps in front of you and you go up this mile long chairlift and it's nothing but rails. You're like, Oh my God, this is where I want to be. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. So I think I just didn't even go over anywhere else in the mountain at that point. We just went up there. It was a beautiful spring day, I think. And I just remember like lapping nitro all day long, just like not wanting to leave that essentially. Um, so we just went up there for a day trip from Connecticut. You know, it's about a two hour drive there and obviously a two hour drive back. Um, so we did that and yeah, quickly kind of fell in love with that area. And then the next weekend came around and now it's my turn to kind of beg my parents to drive me up there because I saw it and had a taste of it. Um, and it took a little while for it to convince them, but finally they were willing to kind of start driving me up a few times on, on the weekends. And then eventually kind of ran into, um, or got approached by one of the coaches at the weekend program over at Corinthia. Um, so they're always out there in their bright green jackets with, you know, 10 kids or so and, and coaching them on the weekends and helping them learn some new tricks. Um, and so up there with Kirk and Chris, we kind of got approached by these coaches and we're like, hey, like we've been seeing you guys up here like quite a bit. Like any thoughts of like, you know, actually getting coached and like learn, learning with us in this weekend program. And we had no idea that this was like even a thing. We saw these, you know, saw that there was this group of athletes out there skiing. But at that time, I didn't really know that like coaching and skiing was a thing or that there were like organized programs like that. And I just knew that I loved skiing and just wanted to keep doing it. So of course, as soon as we get approached to do this, I'm super stoked and was like, hell yeah, like how do I find a way to, to do this? So I think we all three of us then probably went home like that night and just like started begging our parents to be able to, <laughs> to, to do that. And we're like, so this is weekend program, like, like we can learn some new tricks and like really get better at skiing. And at that point, you know, I don't think my folks really understood, like, what you could do with skiing either, right? It's just, just a hobby. Like, it's just, just skiing. And so it took a little, little beg and pleading, and I think all my parents and my friend's parents all kind of talked amongst each other, and they kind of figured out a plan where they would take turns and driving up us up for each weekend um, throughout the rest of the year so that we could actually join in that program. Um, so super lucky to have some like really amazing parents that were like willing to support our goals and ambitions and actually drive us up there. So started skiing in the weekend program and pretty much for like the second half of my sophomore year of high school was up at Mount Snow every weekend I could be like getting involved in that program and actually getting some coaching. So actually learning, you know, like front four is better, front six is better, 720s, like just, you know. Increasing yeah. abilities, the, like the proper way to do that. the proper way, not, not just, just like watching YouTube videos or and pray. watching TJ Schiller and thinking, yeah, I could go do that myself, but actually having somebody like instruct you and tell you how to do it. So that that was definitely awesome, and I think for my sophomore years, like when I started 
kind of like taking a camera on the hill quite a bit and like filming with my buddies and like really like watching her skiing and being like, okay, like this is, there's this whole scene. It's really fun to like go film yourself and then afterwards like go make a video and put out a video or something. Um, so from that young age, again, was totally the kid who was out there like passing a camera around, putting videos out, hitting up brands, asking to be sponsored because I thought I was really good at the time. <laughs> did you send like sponsor me tapes out? I totally did like a few times, like old fashioned, like in the mail with like a letter, like who I am, like what I'm doing, like, can you sponsor me? No responses ever. You know. Not one. <laughs> not one. No, not one. Not one response. Not, not at that time. And I mean, this was kind of before you could just like DM a brand on social media. Like it's only 10 years ago. It's kind of crazy how quick it's changed a lot. Insane how much it's changed. But yeah, at that time you could like message a brand on Facebook, but they're not going to reply to you on Facebook. And if you went on a brand's website and there was something about sponsorships, typically it was like, you know, mail us something at that time. So I was like, all right, I'll make some DVDs and I'll mail it. And yeah, no, it didn't really get anything back, but but that, I mean, that's okay. And just kind of funny to look back on now. Honestly. Yeah. It's just crazy to think how the, how much it's changed, how athletes are discovered yeah. now. Oh, it's insane. Like we'll, we'll get into it obviously now, but yeah, like working on with the, the line Instagram page and the full tail page every day of getting probably like 10 to 20 questions of like, can I get sponsored? How do I get sponsored? It's like that easy to contact a brand nowadays. Whereas even 10 years ago, yeah, you was totally different. Snail mail, so yeah. So interesting. Um, but yeah, so I really kind of fell in love with just like learning new tricks and then going out there with a the camera and then watching yourself at the end of the day. Like even after skiing, like you're still stoked because you have all this footage that you can go through and see what you did and then watch it and like see how you can do it better the next day or the next weekend when you're up there and not snow. Um, so throughout the sophomore year, my sophomore year, that was really cool. And then that also opened my eyes to a couple of like competitions through the weekend program from time to time. We'd go up to like Okemo and Killington and do like these USSA like B competitions. So super simple, small stuff, but I ended up winning a couple of those. And so of course I got this thought in my head that, okay, like I'm winning a couple of these, like maybe I'm getting better at this whole skiing thing. Um, and just kind of kept that momentum going. And then as the springtime came around that year, then I got approached by um, the Mount Snow Academy coach at the time, uh, who was Richie Paradise um, way back in the day. And- Which is like, the best coach name yeah. ever. Yeah, it's pretty, it sounds pretty, like pretty an awesome. 80s like ski film. Yeah, <laughs> like Richie Paradise is a real name. Yeah, real which name. Is, I think he probably is in some 80s ski films. No, probably probably more like 90s or 2000s. <laughs> but yeah, um, so got approached by him at his, as he was the coach at the time, and it's basically like, hey, like I've been watching you through it this year. Like, see, so you've been like improving quite a bit. Like, you ever thought about actually going to like a ski academy and skiing full time? And again, I was like that naive kid where I don't think I even really knew ski academies are really a thing. And so, of course, he tells me this and it's like me learning about this weekend program where I'm like, holy shit, like I could go ski like full time and not go to school as much and just go skiing all the time. Um, and again, like he also talked to Kirk and Chris as well. So it was the, kind of the same thing where all three of us then went home that night, I think, and started planting a bug in our parents' ear and saying like, hey, like there's an academy at Mount Snow, like the coach thinks we're good enough to go there, like can we possibly do that? Um, and so that was sophomore year and then, you know, summer came by, started my junior year of high school and then I think um, kind of we kept on planting that bug and mentioning it more and more and more throughout that summer, I think, and eventually all of our parents after talking to each other all kind of agreed that they're gonna make it happen and so, I'm amazingly lucky to have some insanely supportive parents that are willing to support those goals. And 
like let me go to an academy. So yeah, starting in my junior year of high school, basically I went to my own high school in Simsbury, Connecticut um, throughout the fall. And then as it turned to winter, like late November, early December, I moved up to Mount Snow for the winter there and stayed in the academy house with Kirk, Chris, and about give or take 20 other athletes. Um, and from there we'd go skiing about six days a week in terms of skiing and also getting going to school at the same time. We'd go to school at like a really small building just at the bottom of Mount Snow um, and we get taught one-on-one -on -one with our teachers. So super kind of interesting tutor style. All the teachers were just like really cool people. Essentially they were all older retired folks that just wanted to keep busy and just like really liked giving back I think to the community. So teaching one-on-one -on -one with them was really cool just to like learn about them and also you know one-on-one's also kind of difficult. You got to make sure you actually do your homework. If you are told to read To Kill a Mockingbird and you don't do it when you're with one-on-one spark notes. Yeah, you can't hide. Yeah, you can't hide. You can't hide. Well, I remember I was, I was taking French class at the time too and I just was never good at like French, Spanish, any other language, whatever it was. And yeah, one-on-one -on -one teaching with French is so damn hard. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hide. You There's can't no hide at all. You're like... Like, I think the teacher just thought I was like helpless because any sentence she would say to me in French, I'd be just like, je ne parle en français, which means I don't speak French. Yeah, I have no, <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying. Yeah. What, what was the coach's focus? Like, what was the... Overall what, goal, kind of? of yeah, the like, is or? it like a competition-based, or is it they want to get you on an Olympic track? I mean, this was prior to the... Well, no, the Olympics were going, right? You were they, there. The Olympics... Yeah, they, the Olympics started the my senior year of high school. So, so it was being much. discussed. Yeah. But what was the 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 path that they were putting I think on? The overall path was really what whatever the like athlete was looking to do. Like if it was like going into like that film side of things a bit more, then the coach would obviously like work on them and help them like get the connections they needed to to do that. But obviously, if you're at an academy, you're kind of thinking more so on the competition lines I would think and so that's kind of what my focus was as like as I went to the academy I learned about all these like the rev tours like the grand prix like stuff you could do to kind of like get on track with that and I learned how there was this whole like FIS AFP event circuit which before that I really had no idea of um, so I think that's kind of the, the biggest focus of it and of course like there's it's not just freestyle skiing of course that's what I was doing but there was also racing there there were some moguls there as well um, so kind of encompassing all the different disciplines I guess but yeah I think competing became the main focus for myself and the majority of other athletes out there so we'd always kind of narrow down like a competition schedule throughout the year um, in terms of what events we're going to go to when and then throughout like our skiing and you know quote-unquote training at Mount Snow for lack of a better term we would like work up to learning new tricks before those competitions and try to like nail down competition runs along with just like you know getting better in general if you're on skis six days a week then you know the more time you have something on your feet like skis the better you're going to get at it right so um just super beneficial there but obviously super beneficial to have like a coach who's like telling you how to do these things but yeah so junior year moved up to mount snow and then yeah started this whole program there um with the coach and really started learning like more tricks in terms of like both directions and like kind of getting all of my tricks under my feet and then started going to rev tours that first year um, and quickly learned that holy shit there's a lot of good skiers out here and I'm not one of them. <laughs> like, my first rev tour I did I think I got like 22nd or something like that just because 
one, like the jumps were actually massive. And actually it was at Seven Springs, Pennsylvania. And we're like on the East Coast and I've never been to Seven Springs before. And you know, Corinthia puts up some big jumps on Inferno. Like they definitely get good size, but we went to Seven Springs and they just had this three jump line that was like the biggest jumps I'd ever seen in my life. And so of course, like right away, I'm kind of scared shitless. I'm like, I have to do an unnatural cork nine on that. You want me to do a double on the second jump? Not a chance. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you prepare for that? Like other than, I mean, obviously you practice and do your thing, but like. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is like practicing at Mount Snow and trying to hit the bigger jumps at Mount Snow and like learning those. And then a lot of the time spent like on the trampoline, just like learning air awareness is kind of the, the biggest things for us. There weren't a whole lot of bag jumps like 10 years ago, like there are now with the slanted bag jumps and everything you could go huck yourself into. And actually land. And actually land, yeah, exactly. So like that wasn't quite the thing. So at that time I'd done like a couple of like dubs. I think the first dub I learned was like a kangaroo flip, dub flat nine. Um, and so I'm there and like my, my coach at the time wants me to do that on the second jump and I'm looking at that jump, I'm like, not a chance. Like, I don't want to do that. So I wasn't really at the point where like doubles were like comfortable to me. Like you could go do it like that. I'm more so like, okay, like if I have to do this, I will, but I don't want to die type of thing. <laughs> but I think I ended up doing like a left nine to like a switch right nine to a right nine. And for me, I was just kind of happy to, to, to land that and it really opened my eyes to like, okay, like if I want to like kind of keep competing, I think I need to get better type of deal. Um, so then later on, like that year, um, we kept on going to a couple competitions. USSA competitions were like slightly lower tier than the Rev Tour. So they were a little less intimidating and they were more fun for me just because, you know, you're not, it's, there's not that fear factor at you're that winning. point. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're doing much better. Like at those, I was getting like anywhere from like first to fifth usually. So yeah. Um, but then, yeah, about halfway through my junior year, we were up in um, New Hampshire one day near, near my coach's house, um, and it snowed a lot, and we had a competition like in two days at Sunday River, and so we were probably like a three-hour drive or so, and we had just like an academy van, two-wheel drive thing, it snowed quite a bit, and basically we were like, okay, there's no way we're driving like three hours today, and even if we get to Sunday River, it's going to be dumping snow and not going to be a good day to like get ready and actually do tricks to get ready for the competition. So we went and built a jump at like a local hill um, and basically we're just like screwing around on this jump and I ended up doing a cork seven and decided that I wanted to land on a rail for some reason. So I landed sideways at 810 and just smacked my arm pretty good and ended up breaking my humerus at the time, which wasn't very funny. Uh, <laughs> and so that kind of from You're there. You're for dad jokes. Yeah, right? sorry, I tried. <laughs> That's the one I go with every time I tell that story. Um, so that ended my season right there. You know, everybody faces injuries. But and that was your first major. Injury. That was my first major injury. I broke my like my arm when I was in like sixth grade because I told my dad to watch me go over a box rail on my very last run, and I went over it and it was like a cannon box and I didn't understand that you needed speed to get off of it so I just like dropped off the top of this thing and landed on my arm my dad's like you freaking idiot we're about to go home that's it <laughs> and I was like well we're going home we're just going to the hospital first <laughs> quick stop yeah um, but yeah so that was pretty much the end of like my season junior year so then senior year kind of came back again like I'll backtrack a little bit after like I broke my arm kind of ended the season at the academy. You ended it like pretty much in like late winter, springtime. And then you'd go back to your regular high school for like the fourth quarter, I guess you could call it. Um, so you're spending half the year at the academy and half the year like in your regular school. So interesting schedule, like back and forth, but like good to go see some friends at your old high school. But then again, you go back and some kids are like, what the hell are you doing back here? I thought you moved or something. So it's kind of funny. 
Um, but then, yeah, senior year, same schedule. So went up to Mount Snow again, arm was all healed up. Um, and senior year, I had like a really good season. Um, did pretty well at a lot of competitions, a lot of rev tours, learned a couple more doubles, like switched up 10. So I started kind of putting that into my runs and got a lot more confident with it. Um, and just like did a lot of kind of filming at Corinthia as well and put a lot of edits out on new schoolers that people seemed to be enjoying at the time. So I felt like I was maybe making like a bit more of a name for myself at, at, at that rate. And I was just like really stoked on how things were going. Um, and then towards the end of the senior year, you know, you always reach that big question of, okay, what's next? Um, and so initially I was kind of thinking like, I'm not quite ready to go to college yet. Like I'm thinking maybe I'll take a gap year and see like the, if the skiing thing's viable or not, maybe you could move to Colorado and try to keep skiing if, if that's a possibility. Um, but then I think right around like spring break of my senior year, um, one of my friends at the time, Ali Parati, who was going to MSA with me, um, showed me like a free skier magazine that had an ad for um, Sierra Nevada College in it and it like advertised like scholarships for freestyle skiing or for free skiing and I hadn't ever heard of any school around the country um, having scholarships like that before. So for spring break of senior year I flew out there with my dad to Lake Tahoe where I'd never been before and didn't really know anything about Tahoe honestly like I was like yeah I think there's a lake here cool and so we rented a minivan and drove up Mount Rose Highway and then you'd get a view of the lake, yeah, right? Oh, yeah, we're looking. yeah, it's just like, holy shit, where, where is this? Yeah, we're not <laughs> yeah. in Green Mountains, right? Yeah, we're not in Vermont anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I will never forget the first time like I saw that, that view, it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, and then we ended up like touring the, the campus, which is a super tiny campus, like probably about the size of my high school, maybe even a little smaller, like, you could walk um, from where all the dorms are to the end of the campus where all of the classrooms are and probably the span of like walking a block in the city here in Seattle. So really small altogether, um, only had like two dorm buildings and probably like three buildings where you would actually go for classrooms and one of them was half of the cafeteria as well. So pretty tiny but a beautiful campus like encompassed just like in the woods right in Tahoe about half a mile away from the nearest beach like down by the lake. And so, yeah, just toured the school and talked to the coach, John Cherry, at the time of the freestyle team. Um, basically told me about the scholarships, whatnot, um, just learned more about it, like what they usually do. And it basically sounded like an academy in the form of a college. And so I was like, okay, well, that's really cool. So um, went home, kind of thought about it some more, and then went ahead and like put my application in there and ended up getting a decent scholarship for freestyle skiing. So I was like, okay, I think that's something we can make work. Um, I had looked at also like CU Boulder and like UVM at the time and they were like great options as well, but just like the small feel of SNC, which is actually called Sierra Nevada University now, they've changed, but I'll still call it SNC for yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, just the overall feel of that and of course the location. I was like, okay, like I guess let's, let's try this out. So yeah, ended up, Going to college there um, was a really cool place to be. Like, again, similar to MSA in the fact that like with a college, your class size there is like every one teacher, there's about 20 students in the class or so. So in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty damn small for, for college, right? So yeah, you, you, for college. yeah, so you get to know your teachers pretty well. And it's kind of a similar situation where a lot of the teachers are like slightly older, maybe more so on the retired side. And so just like willing to like help you learn and like give back to the community. They're not really there to like make a buck or like make a living. 
So you get like these really authentic teachers, I think, that are willing to like help you learn and make sure you're going on the career path you want to go. Um, so that was really neat. And yeah, like skiing on the actual ski team there it was nice. Like had like a collegiate team where we would all like you know go on runs and like go to the gym and whatnot in the off season. And then we'd all ski together in the winter, and we'd be able to go like to rev tours still and the school would actually like, support us and the teachers would work with, with us and like work with our travel schedules to go to these rev tours. And the school had a little bit of budget for travel and like for paying for us to go to these events too. So it was like a winning situation at the time there for, for sure. Um, so that, that was really great and traveled a bunch around. And then we also had to do like these smaller events called the like, USCSA which is United States Collegiate Ski Association. Basically, you're competing against like other schools. For us, it was on the West Coast. So a lot of schools from California, um, which were never really that great at freestyle skiing because a lot of times not to- you know, They're more race schools. Yeah, definitely more, definitely more race schools. And a lot of them are you know, like Sacramento or more so like in mid-California where right. a lot, you're a lot further from the mountains, not spoiled like we were, I guess. So fast forward a little bit. Yep. Did you get your associates? Did you get your bachelor's? Did you finish school? Yeah, um, I, I did finish school. I got, I ended up getting like a bachelor's degree in, um, I double majored in ski business association or ski business resort management, sorry, and then uh, marketing. Um, and that was one of the cool things about that school is like with the small class sizes and knowing the teachers so well, like getting a double major like that wasn't that hard to do. Right, but you knew you wanted to be in this industry yeah at that, I, point. I, I, at that point I'd like loved skiing like I knew I wanted to be in that industry for sure I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do but of course I heard the term ski business and I was like sign me up <laughs> and the marketing just kind of came after that I think as I like was going through college I realized that I'm you know doing a lot of things on like social media promoting my own skiing trying to promote myself as a brand a bit and so I was like yeah that's marketing I guess maybe I should take some marketing classes so, so that was good. But um, yeah, going back to like the freshman year real quick, one of the competitions there at the Aspen Open, um, that was like the, kind of the start of some fun injuries I've had in terms of- Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. stock injuries. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was, yeah, I was at the Aspen Open. It was like one of the bigger events. It's like this on the X Games course, right? It's just like basically amateur athletes, not those guys that are at the X Games level. Um, so again, just like Seven Springs, gigantic jumps. That, but at this time, I'm more so used to giant jumps, so I don't mind it quite so much. Um, but I was, you get two runs, and there's a bunch of different heats, essentially, is the way it worked. In my first run, I screwed up on the rails, and I didn't get a very good score, so I wasn't going to move on to semifinals. So my second run, I knew I kind of had to step it up a bit. Um, so I landed the rails, but I was like a little squirrely, and so on the last jump, I was just doing a switch 10 but I decided to try to up it to a switch 12 to try to get some extra points. And I just went way too big on the jump and I landed forwards, but landed so far back seat. And right away, as soon as I landed, I just felt something snapped and started screaming. And it's like, I think my friend had actually tore her ACL earlier that year. And I was like, I'm screaming just like she did. Like, I think I blew my knee or tore my ACL. I've heard this yell before. Yeah, I, I, I like, this sounds familiar and I'm the one doing it, crap. <laughs> And so I told my parents that, and they're like, no way. And then we went and like to the local doctors, they did like the Lachman's test on me. They're like, yeah, you probably don't have an ACL. Um, so I flew back to Tahoe and ended up getting surgery on my ACL meniscus, something like two weeks later um, out there. And then you know, I spent the summer recovering from that, yada, yada. Sophomore year comes around, I'm at like the six month out mark. And that's when doctors are like, yeah, six months, like you can go skiing now. Um, I took that to mean maybe a little too literally where me and like, yeah, six months, I'm cleared. I can go like back to park skiing and ski hard now, right? 
And so six months came around and right away I'm like back to doing like fours on and like doing cork salves and you know, not really like working into things. Like maybe I should have been looking back on it now, I guess. So take that as a word of advice for anybody listening to this right now, take your time healing. Cause about, yeah, then like three months later I was having a good ski season again, but I was having a little difficulty with my knee where I was getting some sharp pains now and then. And I just wanted to keep skiing. So I kind of kept skiing through it. And then I ended up um, doing just like a switch five on a normal day. and. I landed totally fine on my feet, but I just felt my knee pop. It didn't even hurt or anything, but I just like felt it, and all of a sudden it felt a little less stable, and I was like, oh, I think I just tore my ACL again. And so that was probably about nine months after my surgery. Um, so I went back to the same doctor, and he saw me, and he's like, what the hell are you doing here? And I was like, can you test my knee for me? And he did the Lachman's, and he's like, yeah, that's gone. And I was like, great, man. What's your mental state at um, that point? At that point, you know, I'm... I'm young so I, i'm bummed because i was like trying to make it in the skiing world and i know that this is a giant setback again and i got surgery the first time and i know how shitty the recovery is and how long it is and so at this point this wasn't like too long after the whole uh, tom wallace video came out of him skiing without an acl trying to make it to the olympics so i probably watched that video like at least 30 times being like if he did it like i feel like i can do this like i can keep skiing on this so i did this stupid thing, stupid looking back on it now, and I was like, screw it, I'm gonna ski the rest of the year. So I went to the gym for like four weeks and just like strengthened it as much as possible. And then I went skiing, and since it was just my ACL that was torn, I could do it without pain since there was no meniscus or anything. So I just slapped on my knee brace, and I pretty much followed what Wallace did in that video where he said, if you land switch, it doesn't hurt as bad. So I just landed everything that I could switch for the rest of the year. So like switch sevens, switch tens, like cork fives, cork nines, anything like that. If I was landing forwards, I wouldn't do it pretty much. But if it was landing switch, I was like, all right, I think I can do that. So I skied the rest of the year and actually had like a really good, fun ski season. Like one of my better ones for sure, looking back at it. But um, then I went in for surgery that summer and I went home this time to Connecticut to a different doctor. And I went in for ACL surgery and he's like, all right, like, we'll take a look at it. And so I went in and it was supposed to be like a three hour ACL surgery. It turned into a seven hour surgery because my knee was like chewed up, my ACL was gone, my meniscus was torn and they were like, dude, you tore your LCL too. And so while skiing at some yeah, point- doing more damage. Yeah, and yeah, doing more damage. And at that point they are like, okay, well, and, and we're already seeing like some arthritis in your knee and you're not even 21 yet. And I was like, crap. Yeah, that's <laughs> I was like, well, it was a really fun ski season, but again, maybe a little lesson for anyone listening, go get the surgery first if you can. Um, but yeah, and then I took my time kind of recovering from, from that one. And I kind of didn't ski for about, nine months after that one and as the doctor said like you're good to go i made sure like you know, stay on my feet a little longer make sure i heal a little bit longer um and then at that time that was my junior year of college and opportunity actually opened up to um, start coaching the freestyle team that i was on still because our coach at the time left and they were hiring a new one and I kind of had the experience of like knowing how to teach tricks in terms of fundamentals and everything. So I stepped up and I was like, okay, well, if you need a coach, I'm not really skiing that much because I blew my knee. Like I can do that for you. And so it took a little bit of convincing, but eventually I became like the student coach of the team. So that was something fun to do and be able to take my mind off of like, okay, like I'm rehabbing, but also be able to like focus on something and still help people like learn tricks essentially. So I skied that year again and like, Took it easy for the first half of the year, just coaching, filming the team, like showing them what to do. Um, and then that was the year that Tahoe got just like a shit ton of snow. Um, I think February, they got like something like 20 feet of snow. It was like one of the snowiest Februarys on record. And um, then, yeah, I've had an awesome year that season. 
and Squaw actually stayed open until like June 15th or something that year and they had an amazing park in the spring and by springtime I was like okay I'm ready to go I'm feeling good um, so from probably like March to, to June I skied and I skied pretty hard and I've had what I would say is like my favorite ski season ever in terms of like tricks I was doing and stuff I was learning and I made a season edit that season I called it the, my comeback season because I just felt really good and like felt kind of like where I was back at like three years ago when I first got injured um, so was really stoked and then yeah summer went super well that year going into like my senior year of college like things were looking up like ready for my senior year and then ready for what's next essentially and then first day back at school we're down playing like ultimate frisbee um, with some buddies and then after ultimate frisbee we're playing soccer and I scored a goal in soccer and I did like a little flip to celebrate and I landed the flip and I just felt pop again <laughs> on the same exact knee and I didn't even fall over it didn't even hurt I just like felt it and right away same thing it was like this feels a little unstable and so I just started crying right away because I knew what was going on yeah you knew yeah and all my buddies except my roommate knew what was going on at the time but everybody else was like what what's wrong why are you crying and I was like I, my ACL's gone and sure enough went back to my doctor in Tahoe and he's like holy shit yeah it's gone again and so that at that point my mental state was not amazing in terms of are you kidding me like I was just about to have like what was supposed to be like one of my best like breakers yeah yeah and now I'm sitting on the sidelines type of thing um so this time I again at this point like your mental state in terms of if you're getting three ACL surgeries in the span of three years that's roughly anywhere from 18 to like 36 months of recovering depending on how long you're looking at it and so at that point, I was like, I'm not at the mental state where like I can get surgery right now. If I go on crutches and like sit on my ass for a while, like it's not going to be good for me. Um, so again, I just like focused on coaching the team and I did actually ski that year, but I didn't hit features. I didn't train for anything and like skiing is totally fine. And I would just go to the gym a lot and make sure everything was feeling good. And so I just fully focused on like coaching that year and it went really well, of course, like it, it's like, you know, bittersweet to watch all of your teammates doing really well and you're on the sidelines, but it's also really rewarding to be able to coach and, and have fun. Um, so that was kind of the end of like the senior year there. And then after senior year ended, um, again, there's that big question again, it's like, okay, I'm out of college now. What the now heck what? do I do? Yeah. Yeah. Now what? Um, and while I was in college, I guess I should say, like with my injuries as well, like at the at the time a little while ago, or I'll backtrack a little bit, but as I was growing up and like looking for that that sponsor, I ended up getting connected with K2 Skis a bit through the the rep on the East Coast. Scott Dawson was lucky enough to give me a couple pairs of skis, and as I got better, he connected me with um, some of the team managers here. There were kind of several different ones as I was on the team. Um, but they ended up hooking up with skis throughout the year and I could email them and like show them some of my content and something that I shared on like their Instagram page. So a little bit of like, you know, flow of friendship to grassroots there, a little support. Yeah. And so when I got injured there, I was also at the time interning for AFP, which was Association of Free Ski Professionals, which basically dealt with like the global rankings of athletes alongside FIS. But what AFP did was like it was all inclusive in terms of it included X Games and Dew Tour like into the rankings, like events like that that were more individual or FIS really only focuses on like Grand Prix and events that they actually have ownership of. So AFP was trying to make a more so all inclusive ranking system um, at the time. And they were based out of Tahoe City in Tahoe. So when I got injured, my coach of the ski team at the time introduced me to them. It's like, hey, like 
if you need something to do, like they're looking for an intern, like think you'd be a great fit for this. So I was like, all right, cool. Like, so started working with them and then over the years kind of started working with them in, in a more greater capacity. And then they are the ones who connected me with Mike Rosen, who's the K2 rep out in Lake Tahoe area. Um, and again, I was injured at the time. So Mike's like, okay, well, you're not getting free skis through your sponsorship anymore because you're not really skiing. Like if you want to come help me with some events, I'll give you some free skis and boots and like help you out that way. So were you like turning screws for Exactly, okay. yeah. I was like, I was loading skis out of the van, like turning screws, yeah, just adjusting dins basically for any consumer demos or any like shop demos. I lo I'd love that, that hearing that, because yeah. I just talked about it a couple of days ago on another episode. People ask how you get into this. Totally. How do you get into this industry? How yep. do you do, like you take the free jobs or low yeah. paying yeah. roles. It, it's to your, just, at the end of the day, it's who you know. Right. Right, yeah. but well, you have to be a good human. Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, being a good human really helps. But, but like, you don't walk into these positions. No. You don't walk into these roles. So it's fun to hear you say, you know, I wasn't getting free skiers because I was a skier anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're still a skier, but you were injured <laughs> coming off an injury. Yeah. So hearing you say, I went and helped. Was it Mike? So he said. Yeah. Yeah. But go on. I just like to note that for people to hear that twice. Like if you want in this industry, yeah, help someone else in the industry and then they'll help you. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's how it goes. It's not as simple as like submitting a resume and hoping you get a job. It's, it's like, where'd you come from? Yeah. Like who'd you, who'd you help? And then like, who do you know type of thing as well? I mean, um, but yeah, so obviously working with Mike is kind of the start of where I am today, but I'll kind of like lead up to that a bit. But yeah, I was just turning screws for him, like around Tahoe, to go up to Mammoth sometimes for a couple of demos, um, and just helping him out there at like the simplest level possible. But again, like I'm free labor and it's something that they can sit back and do their job in terms of talking to people to demo while I'm just the, the slave labor guy that turned the screws for a pair of skis. Um, but yeah, so I did that and then working for AFP as well. I mean, I started out there as an intern doing free work and that I eventually worked up to me being like the tour manager for AFP for a couple of years. Um, AFP is not around anymore, there's too many complications with the Olympics and FIS and everything and it just, yeah, it just ended up being not really something that was worth pursuing anymore. Um, so that kind of ended up dissolving and now obviously there's just FIS. Um, Which but, most of us have our own opinions on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we won't go there. Yeah, well I'll have our own opinions on that one at all. Yeah, totally. It's not like that didn't put me out of a job or anything at the time, but no. <laughs> yeah, right. But you landed on your feet. So. I landed on my feet, yeah. So. So after college, I like kind of finished up with AFP. That's when that kind of finished. I was still interning for Mike a little bit, but at this time, Mike's now asking me, like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like, you're out of college. Like, you need money, right? And so Mike's like, I can bring you on to the team a little bit if, if you want to, like, keep helping us, but, like, I, mean, I can't pay you, like, enough to live off. Like, it'll be nice on top of something else. So at that time, I'm still living in Tahoe, and I know I've got, a, like, a good experience with marketing in general and so I just decided to try to start up like my own freelance marketing because there's a lot of mom and pop shops around there that could probably use some help with social media type of deal. So I did that for probably about mm, eight months to a year um, out, of, out of college and I just, just go around to local shops and just like see like hey what are you guys doing for marketing like how do you bring in customers in the off season like is there anything I can help with. So I ended up picking like six or seven clients throughout my time doing that and Basically everything I did there, I mean, I was just doing like simple stuff like social media management, just like creating assets for them and posting photos and just giving them a presence online. But I was also running Facebook ads for a lot of them and that gave me the opportunity to be like super self-taught 
and like take a lot of like Udemy or online classes and really see how like all this marketing's doing because it's kind of funny I just graduated college right so you'd think I'd have all these skills but in terms of digital marketing you don't really learn anything in college or at least and it's, I didn't. it's forever changing exactly the algorithm it's completely changes changed. every day yeah yeah you in college a lot of things you learn about is the marketing in terms of like you know sending up flyers or billboards or like anything of that but it's like everything is so digitally focused now and that's what I wanted to help people with essentially and that's kind of what I started teaching myself how to do so that worked for a little while but it wasn't something that was like really picking up steam and I'm not the greatest at like sticking with something if it's not working out right away like so I kind of lost patience with it after about eight months or so and I started looking for okay maybe I should like get a full-time job get some experience and maybe I can come back to this down the line so I started just browsing jobs and I had no idea where I wanted to go at the time. I didn't really want to go work in Reno, living in Tahoe, because that's a bit of a far drive and Reno's Reno, it's definitely blowing up and I think it's a cool spot to be now, but at the time my thoughts on it weren't amazing, I guess. And then it, I was like- It's changed a yeah, lot. Yeah, it, it's changed for sure. And then my parents ended up moving to Toronto. <laughs> my parents moved up to Toronto while I was in college, back to Canada where they were originally from. And so I was like, well, crap, I'm not gonna go live in Toronto with you guys and go work there. Like, I'm a dual citizen, so I could, but that's just the, that's so far away from where I am right there. And I was like, okay, well, that doesn't help things. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to Blue Mountain. Yeah, you know, exactly. St. Louis. Uh, yeah, I actually looked at jobs in Collingwood and Blue Mountain, and I was like looking at rent around there. I was like, wow, it's really cheap to live there. Like, I could do that. But at the end of the day, I was just like, no, like, I just, I'm gonna stay out here for now and just see what else I can find. And I didn't really find, anything for a while until I was actually home in Toronto. Um, I was just like looking at LinkedIn one day. I just remember it was like right around Christmas time or no, excuse me. It was before then it was around October time. I was home for some family reason. Um, I was looking at LinkedIn and all of a sudden I saw like K3 sports, like line and full tilt marketing specialist. And I clicked on it and it was like basically like fit everything I had done like up to my life in terms of like like the marketing, like the events, the team management. And I just like choked my dad and he's like, holy shit, like that's perfect for you. And so I was like, okay, like Seattle, like I never really thought about that, but I guess I could go there. I'm, you know, don't really have anywhere else to go at this point. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. Um, so I went ahead and applied and I then contacted Mike Rosen and I was like, hey man, like I just applied to this job. Like I know Line Full Tilt's owned by K2. Is there anything you can do to, you know, like help me out to actually get an interview so I'm not just like a piece of paper applying? And he emailed me back right away and he's like, yep, yeah, definitely. Like I got you. And so he contacted Josh Melchek and sent him my resume and like just got me kind of connected with Josh. And then something like I think maybe four weeks later after that I got an email from Josh and was like hey like you're around for a phone call I want to like chat about the job with you and so we talked probably the following week and we had like a good long hour-long conversation just talking about the role talking about myself and it went really well and then didn't hear anything for a little while and finally I followed up with him on an email and then he called me like the next day and he was like can we fly out to Seattle and I was like yeah you can you can do that <laughs> And so they flew me, he flew me out to Seattle. I met with him and Carly, Charlie Caltrara, excuse me, um, who was the graphic designer here at the time. And we went out to lunch and basically just did an interview and it went super well. And then at the end of that day, they offered me the job. And that was, I think, about January of 2019. Um, and so at the time, I was still in Tahoe area. So they offered me the job. And of course, I'm ecstatic, said yes, went back to Tahoe and ended up 
kind of working remotely there for about a month. And while I was in Tahoe as well, I traveled from there and went to um, OR, giant trade show in, in Denver, right? And that was actually my first week at work. So everybody just like called me trial by fire, essentially. They're like, here you go, drinking straight from the fire hose, yeah, go jump into a trade show. Throwing you into it. Yeah, throwing me right into it, meeting all Not these people. Not just a trade show, the trade the show. The trade show, yeah. Meeting all of these shops, meeting all of these media partners, like just, I was like, okay, I don't really know what the hell I'm doing yet, but I'm here, I'll just say hi to people and smile and wave. <laughs> That's it, shake hands. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty much. But then yeah, so after that, went back to Tahoe and worked remotely for a month before moving up to Seattle here in March of 2020 then, um, or maybe that was 20, 2019 actually, March of 2019, math is hard. Yeah, <laughs> we're skiers, not scholars. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So moved, moved up here um, and I ended up moving into a shoebox apartment right next to the Space Needle. Didn't really know my way around or anything yet, I just knew that office was downtown here and I didn't really want to take the bus or have to drive into work and pay for parking, so I was like, I'm just going to live somewhere that I can walk. Um, so I moved up here in March, and then my girlfriend moved up here in April. I was lucky enough to drag her away from her full-time job at Northstar um, and come up here to try something completely new. So super thankful she was let me do that and kind of chase my dreams and followed me along with it. But yeah, so we moved up here, and the two of us are living in you know like about 500 square feet. Um, like a, <laughs> it was called a one bedroom, but really it was like a tiny little nook where your bed could go, and then the rest was just like a long hallway where the kitchen was, and then like a tiny little L shaped where the couch and the TV could go. Yeah, welcome to Seattle. Welcome to Seattle, pretty much. So, yeah, so that was interesting at at, at the time. I was like, this is where we live now. Okay, it really took a little bit for that to kind of sink in that like I just came from Tahoe where you're fully outdoors and now I'm living downtown in a city in a tiny shoebox so again like the mental state there was a little haywire for a little while until I realized that okay Seattle's pretty cool like there's all this stuff around here all this stuff to do like there's water on both sides there's mountains everywhere you look I was like okay if I'm in this apartment I just have to sleep here then I can go do cool things on the weekends right so I can I can make this work but then yeah then COVID hit and we ended up staying in that apartment for like I think 10 months of working from home. <laughs> Too long. Yeah, she, she's on the couch and I'm standing at the kitchen table and we're about five feet away from each other for about 10 months. And we did it super well, like no issues whatsoever, but it was just kind of funny. It's like, we're, we're working from home here? Like, oh man. Yeah, this was not the idea. Yeah, not, not, not the idea at all. Um, but yeah, going back to like, I guess just starting work in general, but yeah, moved up to Seattle and kind of just jumped right into the role in terms of like marketing specialists. So shipping a bunch of gear out to athletes, like handling things on like the social side of things, sending an email blast, like pretty much, it was like a bit of a slap in the face in terms of like all the different like A to Z roles you have to do throughout the job. But outside of that, I was like, this is like pretty amazing for me in terms of like what I think I want to focus on for my career for a little while. Like I still love skiing even with all of my injuries. And this is like, a damn good way to kind of stay in the ski industry even if you're not going to be like at the professional level and at that time when I moved up here too I still didn't have an ACL either so <laughs> so there's also that yeah so I moved up here and then in I moved up here yeah in like March of 2019 and I didn't want to get surgery before the summer because I wanted to go explore and learn about here in the summer so I made the difficult decision to get surgery in September of 2019 and that I knew was going to put me out for that ski season. So that wasn't exactly ideal being the new marketing guy 
talking about all of these skis that I'm supposed to have skied on, but I was getting surgery and couldn't really go skiing on the, all those little skis. So before I got surgery, I tried out as many of them as I could, but like throughout the winter, I had to take that winter off, which that was the winter when COVID became a big thing in like March, right? So in a way, like in a very wrong way, but that was the right winter to take off because it was only yeah, half the season, sure. right? Yeah, so, so I managed. Um, and then this time I like made sure with that recovery, I, I waited 12 months before I like even clicked into skis again. And I worked hard with PT around here and get went to the gym a bunch and been trying to strengthen my leg a whole lot. So just last skis and last ski season, excuse me, was the first one that I like actually got back on my skis and I started out real slow again and like took things super easy pretty much throughout the entire year. Cause the last thing I ever want to do is mess with this knee again. Right. Um, so the season went pretty, pretty darn well in terms of one of the cool things, one of my favorite things about my job now is I get to play in all these like team shoots. Um, and so I get to, you know, work with all these professional athletes and basically organize a time and a place, um, to go create a bunch of really cool video and photo assets. So we went out to like Alta this year for a couple of days with like Tom Wallish, um, Taylor Lindquist, Kai Capella, Johnny Merrill. And I just got to go ski there and have fun for, for three days. So even though like I'm coming back and like don't want to be skiing and pushing myself, it's still like amazing the opportunities I get to go on now to like go yeah, ski. Your roles, your, your roles changed. Yeah. You're yeah, not the exactly. You're not the athlete. Yeah. Which is nice. It probably relieves some pressure, some stress. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about line a little bit. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, we've talked about you a lot, which was awesome. Your stories crazy just from I just want to touch how mentally strong you sounded through all of that like I'm sure you may you've coped with it now but like that's a battle and like going to these academies and like hoping to be a pro and sometimes it doesn't happen yeah but there's life after being a pro and you're a young kid who's in this now you get to work with all these pros and you get to like manage and you know create that my biggest question with line how do you keep them, and this is semi-loaded, but not, Line is the fun company, right? Like it's the more funner, it's like, how do you keep people, how do you let them know that you're making real skis as well? <laughs> Does that question make sense? What do you mean by real skis? Like, like you make, you all, like you make park skis that are fun oh, and, and gotcha, super gotcha. soft, but yeah. you also make like a vision, which is yeah. a really great skiing ski yeah. or like a Sakana, which is still in a otter category, but yeah. like that ski absolutely charges. Yeah. So how do you market that? Like we're fun, but we also make skis that turn like yeah. a blade can turn. Yeah. Oh yeah. How do you manage that? I think that that's honestly one of our larger initiatives like right now is kind of growing that sector and i think as we continue to do it if we're like constantly learning and adapting how to do it like as you said we're we strive to be that more funner brand with like the traveling circus and showcasing like all this content from like younger skiers that are just out there having fun right they're not trying to they have no agenda they're just having fun um and that's like one thing that we'll always kind of stay behind and keep on supporting but with that, we try to turn into the free ride side. We like, we like to call it more fun or free ride at times. So while we're like focusing on promoting like, yeah, the socket and the vision collection, we're still trying to do it in like a bit of a lighthearted way and showcase that like it is still like at the end of the day, it still is just skiing, right? Like you're just having fun with it. Um, but with that, 
a lot of Lions consumers, Lions, you know, we've been around since 1995 and now it's 2021, right? So we're just over 25 years old. So honestly, like if you look at me, myself, right, I'm 25, I'm not skiing the park quite as much anymore. So there's a lot of Lion consumers out there that are kind of growing older with Lion as a brand. And so what our goal with that is almost like staying with those consumers and giving something that they can still ski the whole mountain with in like a freestyle mentality kind of. So we're really kind of pitching like the vision as like, okay, like if you're not skiing park anymore, you might be going touring a little bit, but you don't want to buy like a separate super lightweight ski that just goes uphill and like doesn't go downhill very well. So with the vision, we really try to promote that. Like this ski is damn good at touring, but if you want to ski like in the resort or something, or if you, even if you want to go hit a couple of jumps in the park, it's going to hold up and it's going to be really good with that. And then I think the blade is like a really good example of that because I'll admit that the first year and the first launch of the blade, we did it a little off where we called the blade a carving ski a little bit too much and everybody thought like, okay, like line made a carving ski, right? But the blade actually has like some insane kind of freestyle backing to it and freestyle thought process that went into it in terms of like, if you're on a QP or if you're going through a half pipe, like carving through that, if, for example, is just like so damn fun. Or like if you watch Dylan Sigurd ski on this thing now, the way that he carves is like he's on, on, on a snowboard essentially like carving like off a cat track. Um, so it's like, we try to basically like bring these free ride skis to the market, but we try to do it in almost like a freestyle sense because freestyle is like the core of our brand and focusing and doing that and like pushing that into the free ride sector is something that we're like very focused on doing. If yeah. that answers your question. Yeah, it does. I just think being, cause I work at a ski shop a little bit in, yeah. the, in the winter and like it's a, and I'm not bashing it cause it rips, but it's a ski that I almost have to, like a blade or a Sakana, mm -hmm. I almost have to, we have to have it in demo. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And when they demo it, for sure. they'll buy it. Yeah. And even, you know, the, when somebody takes the first run on that ski, they go, holy shit, what am I skiing on? That, that was not fun. And then they ski on it two, three, five more times and like, oh my God, this thing rips. Yeah, it's awesome. But if yeah. you're looking at it in the category, I don't know if you remember, like, not to talk about other brands, but like the Solomon BBR. Yeah, for sure. Really odd shape. Yeah. It failed miserably. Yeah. They put a ton of dollars into marketing it. Yeah. They did giant tours with it. They couldn't get people to ski it. Right. If people skied it, they liked it. Yep. I'm not saying it's the same, and you guys know no, your it, numbers better than anybody, but like that ski, the amount of like rad dads that I put on a Sakana, mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, it's a hero ski. It yeah. makes you, it's, you can ski it very lazy, and I mean yeah. that in the best way, Yeah. and you can arc turns but you could like do a nose butter if you want. Right. Like it's, and that, that's what we like to do. And with the blade, you're totally correct. And like last year with COVID being around, like it was a little difficult because consumer demos really weren't a thing. So in terms of getting people on that ski, that's not something we were able to do quite so much. So a lot of it's like relying on like the assets we're pushing out and like the marketing we're like talking about, but like obviously going forward this year, we're hoping for a lot more consumer demos and getting people to actually try out those skis. But I think like anybody who goes on that ski has basically like told their friends eventually like, holy shit, this thing is so fun. Oh, and it's then, stupid. It's amazing. Yeah. In all the greatest ways. Like, yeah. It's oh yeah. We, um, Peter Brigham, our engineer and Kristen, his fiance do a race league up in Alpenthal here. And Kristen won the race league this year on the blade. And like, she got so many questions of people asking about that ski and we, she ended up getting probably like six other people in the race league to buy that ski and now they all ski on it and are like holy shit this thing's really fun so but going back to what you're just saying about the sakana and the blade and just free ride in general like one thing we strive to do is not just make the same ski that other brands are making right so 
yeah, it's different and it's like harder for us to sell at the times, but I think that's one thing we, we pride ourselves on is like being that different brand with the Sakana, with the Piscata, with the Blade, even the vision, right? I mean, we call it THC technology. So we're like still being like that lighthearted kind of fun brand, but like just really making sure that we're also like growing older with some of our customer base as well and kind of keeping that innovation going across our brand as a whole. Do you work with, is Pete, Peter? Yeah, Peter. Does he just have free reign? Because that guy, for anyone who doesn't know, it's Pete for scale. Or I think it's at Pete go, for scale. Go give him a follow for but sure. But like he's the he works at the Arc, which is K 2s like secret lab, yeah. and they he gets to what it looks like just gets to make crazy shapes and create skis. Do you work directly with them? Do you have input? Yep. Oh yeah, for for sure. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we are a super small team, right? Peter, Peter is the engineer for Line. He also will work for, with K2 and help them out on the K2 side from time to time. Outside of that, I'm the marketing manager. Jake Dubay is now the marketing specialist as of about a month ago. Um, and then Stephen Hartle is both our brand director and sales manager as of right now. So if you put all that together, we're pretty much a three, four person team. And that's line and full that tilt. That is line and full tilt. We also have boot engineers on the full tilt side. We've got like a product line manager that handles full tilt and K2 boots. And our boot engineers also handle full tilt and K2 boots as well. So like brand specific, we're pretty much talking about like Steven, Jake, myself, and then like Peter, and then the boot engineers as well, but they'll handle both brands. So. We're a pretty small team, so we're always very closely like working together. And then, of course, on the ski side, we also have a product line manager, so he'll help kind of like dictate the direction of what we should do and be like, okay, like this year we're going to focus on free ride, and this year we're going to focus on freestyle. And then from there, we're all giving input based on like what we think we should be creating, like what the market's really looking for, like what's going to be that next big hit that we want to make. So yeah, Peter definitely has some fun making crazy shapes, especially as he's building a new ski, like especially like the blade, like some of the first prototypes of that thing were definitely pretty crazy looking. But then obviously we go out, we test them, and then we like narrow everything down quite a bit. We're gonna cut back in. Is everyone at line a skier? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean like we're all skiers and we're all friends as well. Like Steven, I think he is 33, 34 now. He just had his second kid, but he is a park skier at heart. Um, you saying that's old? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not saying, not saying that's old at all. But I mean, he's got a couple of kids, and he's still going out there and like ripping the park, right? That's where his heart is at, um, and that's like where my heart is at still as of right now. So I mean, after work sometimes, like Wednesdays, we typically have meetings in the afternoon. We'll get out of a meeting at three o'clock. He'll text me, be like, hey, you wanna go ski at Snoqualmie tonight? Like right now? Be like, yep, let's go. And we'll go meet up there and we'll lap the park until like 10 o'clock at night. So, I mean, it's just like a super fun environment. And then like, we'll go ski Crystal with Peter on the weekends. And now we'll go ski with this guy as well since he's here in Seattle as well. <laughs> this guy being Jake Dubay who's sitting next to me. The new guy, the <laughs> FNG. Yeah, exactly. And he so, better be getting some good photos of me this year. <laughs> How do you manage this is kind of a loaded question, but K2 is this multi, this giant core. For sure. How do you keep and continue to stay small and core and give that image of like, we actually care about skier? Like we're not, right. we are this giant core, but we right. care. Right, I think it's a lot of it. I think it's like the content we're putting out and the events that we're focused on. Like if you go look at any Perry's Tell a Friend tour that we're still like supporting and we're actually supporting it like heavier than ever this year and trying to make it bigger and better and like just keep on, growing skiing like we're not just some big brand we care about skiing and so with andy's tour like he's going around to all these like smaller hills around the country and canada right and he's trying to get like more inclusive inclusivity and bring more kids into the sport and that's something that we keep on trying to focus and we're trying to think of 
new ideas to do that, like with Taylor Lundquist in terms of pushing like the women's side of sport, the sport and getting more like women's freestyle skiers in there because so many girls look up to her. So we're always trying to think of like new ideas that we can do. And I think just that, and again, pushing out like kind of the, the fun content that we like to focus on really showcases that like we're not really just like this giant corporation. We're still this small, at the end of the day, ski brand. And I mean, you look at like our skew count, right? We don't have that many skis at the end of the day. We are relatively a small brand, but like we like to keep it that way. It allows us to really narrow down our niche and focus on it. You mentioned Taylor and women's, ski, women's skiing is blowing up. I knew there was going to be a conversation as I mentioned well, that. Well, <laughs> well, women's skiing is blowing up, For as sure. it should, because yeah. they are, they, they rip. Yeah. They, why don't we showcase them? Yeah. Is that a main focus as a brand moving forward this year? Definitely. To like, and not just, and I love the, I love this term, like pink it and shrink it. Yeah. Like yeah. this isn't just like, oh, here's your women's ski. Yeah. How do you, how do you move forward yeah. without? So we've. Go we've, ahead. Sorry. No, I got you. We've, we've had a lot of conversations with Taylor about this actually um, quite recently about like, Hey, how can we do this? Like correctly? Like. Do you want to be skiing on a men's ski or do you like want your own women's ski to like grow with the women's side of the sport? Because we'll take your direction and we'll run with it type of deal. Um, so like starting on the skiing side of things, like with her, like Taylor skis on the honeybee, right? It's actually the same exact construction as the honey badger. So she's skiing on a men's ski and I'll take the blame for that. I don't think we promote that well enough that like, hey, if you don't like the honeybee graphic, buy the honey badger if you want to do that. Or I mean, if you look at the Chronic or the T-Wall, we make those sizes all the way down to like a 157. So if you're a woman and you want to ski the Chronic or the T-Wall, like the option's there. And a lot of times if you look at our graphics, we're not trying to make men's and women's graphics. Um, I mean, you look at like the outline, for example, it's going to have purple bases for the year that's coming in here. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, the blade is purple, like the whole ski is pretty much purple and red. So it's the same exact graphic as the women's ski. So we're not trying to do like that pink it and shrink it. We've actually had this conversation quite a bit. I mean, obviously we have the Pandora collection, which is specifically a women's collection, right? And we don't make the vision collection like quite small enough for women to use, but that's that conversation again. Whereas if you're making a lot of like the lower skews, how many of those are gonna sell? And then again, like if you're, you work at a ski shop, right? There's usually a men's side and a women's side of the shop. So if you make one ski that's for both men and women, where's that gonna go in the shop wall? So it's just like all of these other things to kind of think about as well. And at the end of the day, there are those women out there that want that women's specific ski with the women's graphic, right? Like if that Pandora collection, if you've got an older mom who doesn't ski quite so often, but goes on like a couple of ski vacations, she's probably gonna want that Pandora collection that has like that plant graphic on it or like that more so women's specific graphic. So I think there's, there's multiple sides to the argument, but that's something we're very aware of right now and trying to like really help kind of push that agenda. But then, I mean, yeah, just growing women's skiing as a whole, I think one thing like I've been looking at since I got here is that we pretty much financially support two women skiers. That's Hadley Hammer and Taylor Lundquist. And that's something that I'm trying really hard this year to, to change. Um, we just signed Ryan Zetzer onto our team as well. So she'll be joining us. Haven't made that official announcement quite yet, but it'll be out it's soon. Official. Yeah, it's official now. We can delete it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's fine. She's on our website, just waiting for our blog to be updated so I can actually promote it. <laughs> Um, but there's that. And then I've been reaching out to a bunch of other females around the country just to get them skis and get them on our program this year, because I think that's something we need to do a lot better at promoting. I hate looking at our Instagram channel and see that it's all men essentially. And there's like, you know, one post of Hadley sprinkled in, one post of Taylor sprinkled in. I think that's something we need to like improve quite a bit. 
Yeah, it sounds like you're on the right side of things when it comes to that and <laughs> acknowledging it doesn't happen overnight. Right, like, it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to go after that because uh, <laughs> you answered it like full. Like I was like, I'm gonna get him, and you answered it completely <laughs> as you should. <laughs> there is a right answer, and you answered it correctly. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, uh, like, I'll be honest about it. That's just, that's <laughs> one thing we're so I'm really focusing on this year, and hopefully we can you know obviously make it happen going forward in the future. And let's talk full tilt boots a little bit. Uh, we've been chatting for a bit, so I don't want to leave you take too much of your time. How do you I? Maybe I'm wrong, but I work in a ski shop, so I deal with those people. How do you get people to think that it's not just an old Reikley? And there are just old Reikleys. Like, that does exist. Right. Like, the classic shell is yep. that. Yeah. But there's so much more tech into these boots. Yeah. How do you continue to get people to want to get those that aren't just a park skier? For sure. So, I think I think Line and Full Tilt have very similar agendas in terms of they're both very freestyle-specific brands. and. The way for them to really like grow a bit more is focusing on that kind of that free ride a bit more. So I mean, with full tilt in terms of getting out of that like kind of rightly mode. Well, first, full tilt has a gigantic core consumer base, right? Like, there's people like just get full tilts, right? Like, there's people out there who know that they want full tilt and they're gonna buy full tilt, and that's amazing for us to have. And we love you guys. Thank you for being core consumers, obviously. <laughs> um, but it is a difficult thing where like you said, you work in a shop and people see all these like three or excuse me four piece boots up on a wall with like fixed cuffs on them with the regular buckles and they see this three piece looking thing that has cables on it and they're like what the heck like i'm not gonna buy that right because it looks so different than everything else so that's one thing we definitely kind of battle with in terms of sorry <laughs> one thing we battle with in terms of getting more consumers on our boots but i mean we're slowly kind of gearing that way with the ascendant collection right i mean it's more of focusing on that free red sector now we have sammy carlson skiing on it um really elevating like all these athletes that are skiing on it and pushing out a lot more free ride content not just like the freestyle park rats that like love our boots so much um and then along those lines we're slowly making changes to some of our boots too so if you look at the new first collection that first chair collection that we re redesigned last year they still have the cable system on it obviously but now they've got the tongue liner on it um they've got grip walk on it so it's slowly making it a little bit more traditional and then trying to make it much easier for boot fitters to really be able to put that boot on somebody's feet and showcase that okay this is really comfortable and it like feels regular because it has a tongue liner it doesn't have the wrap liner that like you know, usually if wrap liners have great performance, obviously, but it's the same thing. It's most consumers are used to seeing these tongue liners now. And so kind of going a little bit more traditional. And then we finally, not admitting we lost the battle or the war or anything, but we finally <laughs> like changed our flex numbers, right? So you look at the first chair now, it's the first chair 130, first chair 120. It's not the first chair 10. So we're slowly kind of getting towards that way. Um, but that's one of like the bigger internal battles we have at Full Tilt too. It's like we are that original three-piece shell, right? So how do we stay with our original DNA, but also like capture a lot more of this consumer base that's so used to seeing these four-piece buckle boots. So it's something where we have this gigantic like audience that loves our boots. And if we change it at all to like make new consumers happy, how is that core audience gonna feel? So it's something that we're looking at internally and we haven't really decided how we're moving forward on it quite yet, but obviously I think like the Ascendant is a good example and the Descendant with the buckle system there. Um, and just like a quick disclaimer, like the classic, like the original shell, like that's never gonna go away for us. Like 
It's yes, a hard that's... claim. This is a heavy claim right here. No, I, I mean, hey, hey, yeah. I mean, hey, I've only been here two and a half years, so ever is a long time, right? But, I mean, that is the core of Full Tilt right there. That is the Rakeley shell. Like, I mean, that thing has, like, it doesn't have swappable soles, right? You can get so low in your boot. It's so lightweight. That's what the entire U.S. freestyle ski team uses. I'm talking moguls and aerials here specifically. That's what they use, and there's a reason they use that, right? So a lot of athletes love that boot, so... Again, it's that, it's that battle of finding, like making all these athletes happy and keeping everything that they want, but also maybe slowly down the road expanding into making consumers happy and bootfitters happy and making more of a, I don't want to use the word traditional because we're not going to be the same as everybody, but along those lines, I guess. What's next for, this is my loaded final question. What's next for line skis? Is there anything that you can talk about that you're extremely excited about coming down the pipeline? Um, yeah, I think the, the, the biggest thing for, for us like working on is obviously pushing that, the, the blade agenda um, and kind of really focusing and pushing that ski a bit more. And then obviously we've got some new athletes that we're working with, with like Johnny Merrill and Jake Hopfinger um, and elevating them with Dylan Siggers and Garrett Kappel. So creating some really unique content around the blade and eventually that's going to lead to something a, a bit bigger that will be coming out soon. But it's going to be very much so highlighting those guys and kind of pushing that free ride agenda. While also, of course, still rolling with the traveling circus, keeping that going. Um, I'll go ahead and say like new traveling circus van just got wrapped as well. So Perfect. kind of bringing that back. So traveling circus is in its 14 seasons. So while we're like focusing with Jake, Johnny, Dylan, and Garrett and pushing that free ride, we're still like keeping the gas down on our freestyle and our traditional traveling circus, like as much as we ever can. So I think just kind of continuing to push that free ride and sorry, excuse me, that more funner side of things, but also focusing on growing into that free ride with some of our new athletes and pushing out some good content that they're going to be having. Amazing. Connor, where can people follow you? Where can they follow Line Skis? Where can they follow Full Tilt? Line Skis, at Line Skis on Instagram, Facebook, Line Skis, Full Tilt, pretty simple, at Full Tilt Boots on Instagram, Full Tilt Boots on Facebook. Uh, my, myself, I'm on Instagram, at Connor J. Clayton. Cool. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Great conversation. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So clearly that was episode 25. We made it, guys. What a milestone. That's like a quarter century of episodes or something. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, leave a review. Slide into our DMs. We have some really exciting stuff coming up this winter. I think we're going to do some more gear talk. So if there's something you really want to know about this year, I will gladly give my opinion on it. Whether my opinion matters or not is irrelevant I'll give my opinion. I'll let you know what I think. Uh, I work at a ski shop. Jabber works at a ski shop. So we have we can touch these things. We can smell them. We can tell you what they taste like. Uh, go to iTunes. Leave a five-star review. Connor Clayton, thank you so much. Line Skis, thank you so much. Full Tilt, thank you. And I hope everyone has an excellent day, month, weekend, year. Peace.